I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. My name's David Reed, and this is Marek Larwood. Hello, welcome to April. April. And what a hot and sunny April it is. My word, it skips straight past spring and on to summer, hasn't it? It's incredible, as if we've all been in a time machine without even realising. A time machine moving very slowly forward. And of course that means you've got to change your outfits into summer clothes. I mean, Marek, I went for a dog walk in the bright sunshine today. I wore a scarf. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well... There's someone who does know what they're doing, and that is Raph Simmons, who is a new head designer at Dior. Right. That that was a that was a hell of a segue. <laughs> it's left me disoriented. And because produced. I'm going to talk about a documentary I went to see, Dior and I. Dior and I. Yeah. Dior. That's a weird title. Dior and I. Yeah. It sounds like one word though, doesn't it? Dior and I. Dior and I. Sounds like someone if if you've got a, ba- a battery, in a Duracell battery fits in your eye. A Duran eye. Yeah, it's, it, it's like your eyes light up like a torch. <laughs> It'd be useful. That'd be really good. It would slot into the temples, probably, wouldn't it? Yeah, you put it in, so it was dark. You wouldn't need to shine a torch. Your eye would glow. <laughs> we I, holy shit! We, we come up with so many good ideas, and then we just never action them, do we? Someone somewhere is making millions out of millions us. Millions off of all of Probably, our ideas. Probably, I reckon it's regular listener Chris West. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. I mean, um, so I went to see Dior and I, which is a documentary which charts uh, the story of the new head designer of the fab- fabled fashion house, Christian, Christian Dior. Dior. Um, and the beside, behind the scenes look at his very first uh, fashion show of his first new range. Okay. Why did I go and see? Yeah, this? that would be my first. Well, question. I went with my girlfriend because she's uh, used to work in that sort of industry, so she was quite interested in it. And I thought there's not going to be anyone here. I went to see the Crouch End Art House, very good cinema. It was really busy. Is Crouch End a hive of uh, the fashion community? Well, I was surprised. There are people there. I mean, two ladies walked in, looked like they were dressed into your stuff, and really talking at the end, and quite, but they were a bit chubby. And, and, uh, but it was, Hang on, it, they looked like they were dressed in your stuff, but they were a bit chubby. Yeah, being that sort of. Chubby. Their attitude was yeah. chubby. Right. It, it was surprisingly busy, um, uh, and I realised there's a, uh, many people are interested in high fashion. And and I am not one of them. No, no. Okay. So was this 
Was there something for everyone in this documentary? Were your well, eyes open? Well, that's the thing with documentary. I wasn't ever... And it's got a good... It's uh, IMDb. It's given it... It's got a seven, I think, on IMDb. Okay. Uh, who made this documentary? Is it was it made we... by, by one bloke who's the writer and director of it. And obviously he knew. So um, this he got it, access to uh, the fashion house and the story. This guy and his assistant coming in and the pressure of doing their first show... They picked this bloke called Raf Simmons, who wasn't this, who's a Belgian bloke who's come from a different background. He's like a minimalist background, not necessarily known as being stylish, and coming in, be introduced, and you know, meet these two. What's really fa- I found it really interesting is that in the fashion house you've got these two. I can't remember what they do. Two different, they're called ateliers, where all the the, the actual people who do the handcraft and the sewing and the stitching, right, and all their amazing intricate work. To go behind these designs from the sketches he makes, um, and they they seem basically just someone looks like the elves and the shoemaker, and the shoemaker just goes, "Oh, I like this yeah. thing there." It was fascinating. It, it was interesting the fact that he'd go, he'd say, "He's a man literally without much charisma." He'd spend his time going around galleries and sort of going to Dior's old house, and he was saying there wasn't a day he doesn't go to a gallery to get some inspiration. And he sees a picture and he's going to make a nice print. And he does some designs. And then these poor people, who seem quite happy, like they're almost like dinner ladies, a lot of them. <laughs> it's, it's equivalent of school dinner ladies, but they're amazing uh, seamstresses and uh, you know right. uh, workers make these beautiful dresses. And when you see that the work that goes into them, it is a work of art. Yeah. You can appreciate that. Some of them are dressing like that. Is it that and I'm not someone who's... In particularly into fashion, uh, I don't really, I don't really believe in inflated prices of, of things. But the, the, some of them were extraordinarily beautiful. But the it, the problem with it was, I think a documentary. It's all about who is the author of the documentary and what their viewpoint. And I think that it felt that like he was a friend of Dior, so part of me could never really. There wasn't any criticism of Dior. There wasn't any sort of is he. It was just what happens, mm. and it felt a bit like an elongated Dior advert. Didn't feel like an expose. No, no. there wasn't any people. Nothing. There was no real drama. It was just we're getting slightly stressed. And we're running out of time. Who um, who paid for the, this to be made? Follow the well, money. Well, I tried Merit. to. Follow I tried to look into what happened because I was convinced that this was a Dior gave the person it's the, the money. new Charlize Theron ripping off her pearls yeah and this bloke this head new design this rough bloke was saying how he didn't was quite shy and didn't want cameras around him at, at the big at the, the big the first show and he didn't want to go out in front of the cameras and I thought well, you've got a flipping camera following you around non-stop have you not noticed that one uh, it's, it's not something it was interesting it's one of those things just wait till it's on TV okay it feels like a TV documentary uh I, I, I think the word documentary is a stretch, really. Okay. What? Okay. Whoa. Because it it was just. But I think documentary should actually tell you something or bring ask some questions or should be some interest in it. Certainly, if it's a feature. Ironically, it was a bit. It was almost as vacuous as the fa- as the fashion world itself. Because <laughs> uh, I've, I've I've worked in TV documentary a bit. I do voiceovers and stuff and. Uh, yeah, sometimes that you know, you just cover something for as long as possible, and then just try and weave 
the most interesting narrative out of what happened. Yeah. But if you're not there to sort of uncover some gritty truth or or you know uh, reveal the strangeness behind closed doors of something, then you are really just yeah. It, it may as well may as well just be an educational program about how fashion ha- works. Yeah. You know. I mean, compared to the overnighters which I talked about a while back. Yeah. That was um, where they was really trying to uncover some uh, the, the dark underside of why this church was bringing these people, mm. these people in. That was fascinating, but this just felt, you know, it's, it's just people talk. At the end of the day, it's people talking about clothes for rich people, and lots of rich people saying that was amazing. That was a, those are amazing clothes. I've got a real big problem with the the industry. <laughs> Because these these uh, dinner ladies uh, making exquisite uh, clothing, yeah, they're making unique items, aren't they? One offs. Yeah, they're not, you know, uh, you know, slaving around the clock in order to create. No, no, no. They're, they're highly skilled dressmakers, and, right? And are this for catwalk stuff? Isn't yeah, it? So, right. It's interesting if you don't know anything about the fashion industry, and you're. Uh, it's always interesting seeing an insight into a new world, yeah, and one that is glamorous and has got that sort of final. It's got that final. There's a final show. It's almost like the Bake Off thing. Yeah, it's that whole competition type. Well, that's what it sounds. It sounds like a TV format. Yeah, it pretty TV much is. It's the perfect thing. We've got a final show, a final catwalk show. We're going to find out whether they like your new designs or whether you're going to be a flop. So you've got the the climax there, and you just follow it through to that point. Would it have made sense with a voiceover by Dave Lamb? There was really what they did do. It was really nice. Is they uh, Christian Jaw himself wrote a book about fashion design, and he acted as a narrator talking. They read excerpts from his book and had that as a way, as a sort of narrative in it. Yeah. But and the music was quite good as well. So it was it was, it was a well done documentary. But the subject matter is interesting. But there's no real drama itself. If you like looking at pretty people in clothes and you want to know what's going on behind it, it's an interesting way to spend an hour and a half, but I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Okay, fair enough. Five Marricks. Five Marricks. It sounds like competent, not that interesting. Just, yeah, yeah if you like clothes and that. Okay. okay. i tell you what I do like, though. What do you like? I like letters. <laughs> wow. I mean, we're speeding through the episode this week. Uh, but I Why not? Oh, why yeah. not? Uh, who's who's written in? Alistair Birch. What does he want? Have a read. Okay, Alistair Birch. Um, uh, is, has he said anything about how he would like it read? I don't believe he has. I imagine it'd be a Birch, someone like um, a, a someone who works in a, wo- a woodsman. A woodsman. Yeah. Right. Dear Marek, David, and Buddy the Dog, as a long-time listener and once-time quiz attendee, I was wondering if you would re- if you would consider reviewing It Follows. In my opinion, it's one of the best and more importantly original films I've seen in a long, long time. Although it does have overtones of Halloween and the Goonies, perhaps. I'm in awe of the direction and cinematography. The low-tight shots really give it a unique feel. Also, the unambiguous time frame the film is set in is strange yet captivating. I would give it nine Alistus, missing out on ten, because it dragged a little, and the protagonists seem to accept their situation without question. 
I've heard there might have been a different ending to the one I saw at the cinema. I wonder if they changed it to set up a sequel. Thank you. By the way, I think Buddy the Dog should make more of an appearance in the podcast, Smiley Face. Keep watching the films. Buddy's asleep. He is asleep. But the reason I got you to read that one out is because we've had two. We've only had two emails about it. Follows. It follows, and, and we've thought, still not watched it. No, I thought. I thought it, that if we had the email about it follows, and, and then it follows that with an, an, an email another, about it re- follows, another email about it follows. Wow. This one's from Richard Neal. I did it before in a posh Jamaican accent, didn't I? You did. The previous email about It Follows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Previous week. Well, we still haven't watched It Follows. We haven't. And we won't watch it next week. Well, the problem is is because it's not in the... uh, We missed it in the cinema. So the only way to watch it is to um, download it illegally, which we we simply do not approve of. And it's it's doing people out of... Of work, it's yes. killing children. It's killing all the children. It's, give, it's spreading AIDS. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason that um, uh, Kanye and Beyonce and all those guys have joined together for the music industry, and it's about time the film industry did the same, isn't it? Mm. Yes, mm. yes, it is. It is, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm. Um, and yeah. he, here's another email. What do they want? It's um, well, it's by from Tom Crowley. So he will watch it. Follows when it comes out on DVD. Yes. But um, so apologies. Um, this is from Tom Crowley. He wants you to read it out because I can't be bothered to read it out in the voice of Sid James. <laughs> Sid James. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, can't, I haven't seen Carry On in so long. <laughs> yeah, I can know the laugh. I know he laughs. I can't laugh through the it's whole thing. Can I? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do that one. All right. Hi, David American buddy. I'd like to eat. This email read in the voice of Sid James. <laughs> Please. Long time listener, first time caller. He wasn't that gritty, Sid James. Doesn't sound even like him. Nothing like him at all. Sid vaguely like him. Okay. <laughs> Sounds more like Arthur Smith. Yeah, um, I don't know what his voice is. You stuck with it now. Yeah, just like. Firstly, thanks for recommending both Blue Ruin and Ex Machina. They looked interesting, but it was your say so which pushed me to check them out. Both of them turned out to be brilliantly stylish. <laughs> Unusual takes on their genre. <laughs> With real wit and cunning in the writing. So tar. Have any of you ever seen Shock Treatment? It was the flop sequel slash prequel slash equal to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I imagine Danielle would have checked it out at some point as a Rocky Horror super fan. <laughs> It's a puzzling film with a meandering script but a great satirical bite and a set of songs arguably more consistent than Rocky Horrors. Our old friends Brad and Janet, now unrecognisable due to some slightly misguided casting, are experiencing marital difficulties and are suckered into appearing on a reality counselling show hosted by a blind German chef played by Barry Humphreys. And it only gets odder from there. <laughs> it's a blend of some of the songs from the aborted direct Rocky Horror sequel Revenge of the Old Queen and a reworking of another attempt, The Brad and Janet Show. After all this development, the Screen Actors Guild strike hit and they couldn't find outdoors leading to the unusual de- they couldn't film outdoors leading to the unusual decision to turn the entire town of Denton, USA into a TV studio so that all the locations were interiors. <laughs> The, direct, the direction and design are both stunning, but as Richard O'Brien himself keeps reminding everyone, it's a deeply flawed film. Either way, it's a fascinating Frankenfurter monster of a project. 
I'd love to know what you made of the film as I've recently written the stage adaptation, which is opening soon. When I got the gig, my buddy Nathaniel Metcalf said, why isn't Daniel Ward doing that? And I still don't know the answer to that. Why isn't Daniel Ward doing it? She'd have been a brilliant choice. Still, I did all the research I could and the cast and production team were amazing, so I hope they've got a show that any Rocky fan will enjoy. I'm putting this bit in brackets because it's very dangerously close to a plug and that's why I wrote it. That, that's not why I wrote it. So please don't feel like you have to read this bit out. I uh, did. Keep watching the films, Tom Crowley. Um, have you seen Thank shock, you, Tom. Have I you have seen, seen shock, shock Treatment, oh, yes. Oh, um, well, tell us, um, well, tell us, David. I mean, Rocky Horror. I don't, let's start there. Cause you, yes, um, I've seen You've it. seen Rocky yes. Horror. You know, it's it's an incredibly fun piece. The songs are all killer I think I think they're fantastic yeah and the plot makes you you have to unpick the plot to work out what is supposed to be happening because it is well I think the songs are so good it doesn't matter yeah. yeah it doesn't matter it's a superb piece but the plot makes very little sense um it's it, it has the logic of a dream which is also why it's sort of better than other things um shock treatment I didn't know about the development process of it, that it was two projects that both failed in development then it turned into shock treatment because it feels like that. It is a colossal mess. Like, there's huge political sort of satire swathes in it and there's a whole bit in a psychiatric hospital. When did it come out? Was it the same... Um, how, oh, no, I couldn't find it when it did come out. Rick Mayles in it. Um, I, I believe. I think that's right. Uh, it's a long time since I've seen it. 1981. Rick, yeah, Rick Mail and Barry Humphreys. Um, and Richard O'Brien's in it again, and uh, what's her name who played... Ruby Wax is in Ruby it? Ruby Wax is in it, yes. I think the, the lady who played Magenta in the original Rocky Horror is in it as well. Um, it's so weird. There's some good songs in it. It makes even less sense, and it seriously needs an editor. Uh, in terms of script editor before they even started shooting it. But Richard O'Brien was one of the writers on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his project again. It was supposed to be, you know, eventually the uh, science fiction double feature that's sung about at the beginning of Rocky Horror would be Rocky and Shocky. And they'd be ah, done as a double feature. Okay. But um, And it's supposed to carry on the story of Brad and Janet. But it, it is so... Like, if... Rocky Horror feels like a sort of wonder, wonderful dream. Shock treatment starts to get so uh, get disconcerting. Like you're, you're starting to go nightmarish because it's so sort of creepy and isn't making sense. And you're... why did you watch it? Because of I, I was a massive fan of Rocky Horror, so, and I wanted to. You, you, you know, it took me a long time to track it down, and it's only recently become sort of available again. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a success at all in, at its time. It was a colossal flop. Uh, but no, fascinating piece of history. And Barry Humphreys should have done more on on camera because he's incredibly good. I mean, I've, I saw uh, Dame Medna recently because he was doing his finale before hanging up uh, mm. the character of Dame Medna recently. And you know, some of some of the material is too old fashioned by today's standards in that it's terribly offensive yeah. and not that funny. Uh, but the character of Dame Medna. Uh, and all of the material and his ability to just talk to an audience was absolutely so amazing. Quick, so it? he is sort of like the the nightmarish um, game show host who is a bit like, I suppose, the the MC in Cabaret. And not, what what um, sort of character is he playing? Uh, an absolute sort of almost like the Joker, almost okay. you know. But he's he's a sort of uh, n- he's a grotesque version of a game show host from the eighties. 
you know, we're all smiling white teeth and, and leering into the camera sort of stuff. Should anyone watch this film? I think Rocky Horror super fans should probably, it's a must for all of them, just to see, you know, why Richard O'Brien didn't get to continue making films. Okay. <laughs> but um, it's it's got some really good songs in it, but some of them you could, uh, you could I think, fairly say are a bit cynically put in there as, you know, the one that would be the single if they released it and stuff. I don't know. None of the songs have really stuck with me. Um but no, it, it could well be that might be unfair because you know only having seen it once. That it did look like it pretty much ended his writing career. Seemed to, um, but because he's one of those figures from the eighties and early nineties that you know because he would have started doing um, uh, Crystal Maze not long after that. Yeah, um, which kept him, you know arguably actually made him more famous in the public eye than Rocky Horror did as a persona himself. Yeah, yeah. exactly, a different generation. But no, he sort of disappeared off the map. And he was in Flash uh, Flash Gordon, of course, as well, Richard O'Brien. Oh, yeah. He started out at the RSC, from what I've read, and uh, rebelled against the RSC by uh, quitting and going off to make Rocky Horror. It's very difficult to sustain a career in this industry. Oh, I think so. Shock treatment, you could never... I don't think you could ever level at it that it's boring. Um, it, it may fail to entertain in the way it wants to, but it is a fascinatingly mess of a piece, and I, you know, it's uh, it's worth watching for for that reason alone. Okay, uh, so if people want to write in with emails, mm, like Tom Crowley has, yes, or like Alistair Birch did, yes, well then they can email us, dearfilmfandango at gmail dot com, or you can talk to one another if you don't want to hear our opinions anymore by going to Facebook uh, forward slash filmfandango and writing on our wall, or you can tweet us at filmfandango or at Mr David Reed or at Marek Lawa. That was really nicely done. Thanks. Um, and we do all of this for free. So if you'd like to donate towards our running costs so we can continue making this podcast, then please go to filmfandango.co.uk and follow the links from there. And everyone who has donated, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You saw a film. Did I did you, see a film. You, you know, know, You've seen a film, mate. You take that back. <laughs> Um, the, what I'm going to talk about, actually, uh, almost as a companion piece to Dior and I, actually, I'm going to talk about um, Going Clear. Going Clear? Now, this is actually a TV documentary, but it's feature length. It's made by HBO. And this is... Uh, it's been... Uh, there's a book, I believe, um, of the same title. Uh. And uh, this is an expose, an actual expose, with parallels to what you're talking about with Dior and I, um, of the Church of Scientology. Shit it. Yes. Um, so it properly, you know, get it, it's, it could be called polemic because it is, because it's an expose. So it takes as read what the church claims to be as prior knowledge that we already have and then shows you the dark underbelly as well. All I know about it really is that Outside Tottenham Court Road station, yeah. the Scientology thing. The Dianetics Centre, And they yeah. try and say, would you like to do a personality test? Yeah, yeah. Where are you getting you in there? I don't know what happens after Okay, that. well. And all I know, and I know about the whole bat- battleship, um, but uh, the, the L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard, And that founder. weird film, uh, John Travolta. Oh, movie? yeah, Battlefield Earth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, not to spoil the, the film, because it's really good, but it starts with... 
L. Ron Hubbard himself as a writer of self-help help books and science fiction and him founding the Church of Scientology. Do you, so L. Ron is not related to L. Ron in, in Lord, Lord of the Rings. No. no, it's not. It's L. Ron. His name's Ron. Hubbard. Oh, okay. So, so L- I think it's like Larry Ron Hubbard or something. So not L. Ron. It's uh, not L. Ron. I thought no. maybe you think one of those L. No. just thought... You know, a thick and his brother of... Gandalf Hubbard. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. You have no chance. But they have, they have so much magic to call upon it. You, they get a lot of believers when they. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it's not Elrond. Sadly, it's not Elrond. It's El Ron. Okay, tell me about him. Uh, or L R H is all of the Scientologists say, and then they salute. Um, mm. uh, basically, he. Uh, he famously, uh, as uh, sceptics of Scientology often quote, he famously, a year or so before founding the Church of Scientology, said on a TV interview when someone asked him, you must have made quite a lot of money because uh, you've sold a lot of books. And he said, no, no, no. If I wanted to make uh, a lot of money, I'd start a religion. And two years later, he did. Um, mm. And because in America, they're tax exempt. And that's a huge part of this documentary of what the Church of Scientology did in order to keep its tax-exempt status. And but that's interesting. Basically, so what, do you need to have a certain amount of rules to be... Because someone said to me, there's, who is it telling me that they were thinking of uh, forming a cult? Yes. Because if they formed a cult, they wouldn't have to pay... When they were students, Yes. they wouldn't have to pay any council tax. Well, this is the thing... Well, I don't know what the rules are in Britain, but in America, it seems to be that... In order to uh, be classified as a religion, you need a certain number of members, and also uh, you have to be a, a non-profit, in that okay. your money has to go to the benefit of society and your members. But of course, if you, if you grow large enough to own uh, buildings people can live in, and provide catering for people to do, and vehicles for them to drive around in, what's the difference? You know what mm. I mean? So... Um, and you know helicopters and mansions and all the whatever. Now it's about the rise of Scientology and from its very beginnings and f- uh, of it being the cult of a man, the cult of L. Ron Hubbard, this you know uh, in- seemingly very charismatic and guy who manages to get all of these people to follow him with his beliefs, and that is through the process of. Um, Auditing, which is what, uh, after the release of his book Dianetics, became very, very popular as a fad fashion in psychology. Of it's basically uh, you'll you'll have, this is the bit you know about. It's what they do in uh, Tottenham Court Road when they're offering you the personality test. Is you hold two metal cylinders and uh, they have a. Uh, uh, an undetectable electric current going through you and there's a needle that they're watching as you, you talk about your life. Asshole, not yeah, asshole. Exactly. Well, it's apparently it's one third of a lie detector, basically, is what it is. So it's oh, okay. registering something. I don't know the science of that and how accurate that is, but that is the basis of the whole thing. Now, the religion started with this theory of Dianetics, of if they can, if they can see how stressed you are when talking about certain things, they can get you to open up about stuff and confront your fears and therefore feel like you are making great progress in your personal Pete, life. Mine is pizza. But that makes well, you stressed. I, I prefer the McCain's pepperoni pizza, but it's often about a pound, it's three pounds, three pound fifty. Sometimes yeah. the Sainsbury's equivalent, which hasn't got the same amount of toppings on it. Yeah. But they, sometimes they do two for three pounds. And, and how does that make you feel? Well, I just think... Oh, 
be mad not to go take up on this offer, but I don't like it as much. But it's not enough to save. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to get by. I'm trying to make ends meet. I can't. Well, now that you've admitted that to me in an, our, our interview, you're going to feel okay. a great cathartic release. So what would you do? And you're going to want if you were to a come in. If you were a Scientologist, well, I, have, I with... haven't had the training, Merrick. I don't know. I'm but just right, roughly, what taken from what you? Well, said. then I'd ask you. You know, you have to carry on holding I've my got these, my collars. I'm holding your rods. Yeah, yeah. holding my rods. And I can then see if the topic you're talking about is making you stressed or 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 not, and therefore I can lead the conversation down avenues that to find your deep, you know, seated hidden. It's, it's, it's that then. Yeah, it's that. It's that. Whole then what thing. do you do with it? what do they do with it once? They're okay, basically the the process. This is called auditing, and you do it for hours, and then you you have repeat sessions, and you pay for the privilege to come in. And the idea then is that. People get addicted to this, like psychotherapy, basically, that they, they feel better from it. Now, the, the, where the story goes from here, and I don't yeah. want to spoil the whole thing, but basically it goes to the end of Elron Hubbard's life and how he sort of starts to go very strange towards the end of his life. And then what happens, having built this great big thing in the vacuum after he dies, and the absolute psychopath who takes over the Church of Scientology once L. Ron Hubbard is, is gone. And of course... The, and that is Gandalf. And, yeah, that's Gandalf Hubbard. Um, these... Uh, it's He's called... Is it David Moscovitz or something like okay. that? Anyway, the terrifying, terrifying sinister goings-on of when people want to leave the church what the church does to protect themselves from those people because of course all of these auditing sessions where they've uh, offloaded their oh, innermost secret that they have files. them all written down and filed and they then have teams of people who go through to find ways they can hurt them or blackmail them or Holy whatever shit. and they do it to John Travolta and they do all of you know this and John Travolta's left uh, no he he hasn't but he he couldn't but uh, it, I don't want to spoil it but it's all in there John Travolta's in there um, Tom Cruise is in there as a huge part of it and they are terrifying they're utterly utterly terrifying and who what, where does the money go to then uh, well they they've uh, they're more recently their numbers have dropped and dwindled and dwindled like they're now down to I think 50,000 members but the amount of money they've made has uh, grown astronomically and that's because they've put all of their money into buying property all over the world and so mm. they, they're now they're, they don't really know but they're worth in the re- it's billions and billions and billions of dollars Holy shit. and uh, yeah and they're, they're ruled by one tyrannical dictator who put the other uh, high up people who have since they, they all sort of quit in the early 2000s but he he ruled absolutely by putting them in what they called the cell, and it was a building with bars on the windows and doors, and they would have to sleep in you know squalid conditions, and he would come in and psychologically torture them, going, "You've done something wrong, and you're going to stay here until you admit what it is." Wow. When they had it, and he would come in and emit physical beatings on them personally on a regular basis. And all of this, and the film is exposing this. All of these people. And how did the documentary get access to them? Then? These people have all come out. One of them is the uh, the director Paul Haggis. He was a Scientologist for thirty five years, wow. and he's one of the talking heads on this documentary. So this guy's got eight point four and nine which is really high. Exactly, really it's chilling. You you never want to cross these people. Uh, 
no, what been, they're capable of I've doing. I've been listening to this, David. I think with at least their worries now, this film's come out, really. But um, Well, we're going to be on their worry list a little bit, aren't we? Yeah. We're joking. We love Scientology. It's the best. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Uh, but it, really, really fascinating. How many Davids you give it? You know what? It's, it is a made-for-TV movie. Uh, it's an expose. It's... Um, it's a polemic. It's like Blackfish. It has a political agenda to take these people down because they think they have too much power and they want more people to know about the darker things that have gone on. As such, the story to watch it once is interesting. You probably wouldn't watch it twice. I think I'd probably give it uh, seven or eight. That's a lot of David. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Like, uh, chilling the sort of... The, 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 because the way... The psychological uh, treatment and manipulation of their own adherence means that there is no reasoning with them. They believe their ultimate goal is the freeing of mankind. Therefore, lying habitually uh, is fine because of the end goal. And so they become the strangest, most twisted individuals. I'm going to get myself a good end goal. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Then you can do anything. You can become free. Um... It doesn't make you think much of Tom Cruise uh, or possibly pity him, but no. Um, no, it's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And a very modern problem, actually, that you could basically uh, create a brand new religion that isn't based upon beliefs. Like, Scientologists don't find out what their beliefs are until level seven after oh, they've really? spent several hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever it is. It, but before that, it's based upon uh, basically therapy sessions, um, which is so strange. I'm going to start a new religion. Yeah. It's going to be called Touch My Potato. It's nice. I like that. Because you can get those places everywhere and have people touch them until they start to feel something. Yeah. And then, if you if you're touching a potato non-stop for a long time, yeah, you want to get delirious and start Is it imagining peeled? stuff. No, 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 no. Oh, so Just touching it, and you make it out sort of some sort of earth thing. And it's yeah, yeah. Dirt, and then you have to bury it. Then dig well, that's quite similar because you can make a potato battery, can't you? So, oh yeah, yeah. So it's probably quite similar. Holding two potatoes. Well, maybe that's a good thing to end on. Yeah. Uh, Touching two potatoes. I tell you the weirdest thing about Scientology that I didn't know is the head, the heads of it, the highest members dress like they're in the Navy. Really? Yeah, because they were... Um, one offshoot of it, when L. Ron Hubbard was still alive, was called the Sea Organisation, and they uh, they lived on boats and dressed like naval officers, but they still do. They've got, like, you know, the sash under the arm and the suit and medals, and they salute each other. Are you sure they're not... Who did that song in the Navy? That was by... Uh, that was... Uh, yeah, what's it called? The, the village, village people. people. Yeah, it's not them. Are you sure they're not the Yeah, because there's not... You know, some dressed like naval officers, some dressed like uh, American Indians. There's you not never that. know what they're wearing um, at wearing, home. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. In the navy, you can sail the seven seas. Well, I hope our listeners get to sail at least one of those seas before next week's podcast. Yeah, that's a good segue to the end. Uh, well, yes, two documentaries for your consideration. Please do email us if you uh, would like us to talk about anything or if you'd like uh, to persuade us to see uh, a film. We'll get round to it eventually. Oh, that email address again, dearfilmfandango at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. Keep Keep watching watching the the films. films. Goodbye.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.